0: what we talked about last week, and just considering that just for a moment, if you recall, last week they were halfway done building the wall, and then all of the attacks from all of the enemies came, and they attacked them very specific in different ways, and we covered five ways that Nehemiah mentioned in the Bible about how we're attacked, and uh, the more I considered this, the more I, I was thinking about how Satan really does use I call it a DNA bullet for each and every one of us. Knows exactly where to hit us. For some, it may be uh, just a full attack, uh, sickness. Or some, it may be rumors. Or some, it may be depression. For some, it may be you're not good enough. And the list goes on and on. And even when I mention those, you probably, if you were here last week or even now, considered that those attacks, very specifically, Hit your heart. Even when I mentioned that, you thought, oh yeah, that one, that one's me. That one gets me every time. So what what you'll notice here, and as we'll walk through this, is the attacks was heavy last week in chapter four. But since that didn't work, now we're about three-quarters of the way of the walls being built, the gates are just about to be finished. If Satan can't cause division by attacking us straight on with enemies, then he attacks us internally, and he's very clever at that. And these internal attacks can be very subtle at first, and really, it's that DNA bullet, if you will, it it goes right to our selfishness, right where we feel that we're pretty great, pretty proud of ourselves, And then from there, I think it goes to our self-righteousness. One of the commentaries, uh, Clark, he ended the previous chapter saying that even the battle, if you recall, they had a sword on one leg and they were building the bricks on the other. And he mentioned at the very end, he said, one of the things that I appreciated the most is it didn't matter what your job was, everybody was all in. And that's how he As he ended the service, he said, and don't forget to blow your trumpet in time of need. And as I was considering the closing of the chapter, just no one complained about what the other person was doing. No one complained that if it was your turn to carry the brick or their turn to carry away the rubble or their turn to hold the swords, they were unified, ready for the attack. And then the internal attack comes. Again, that great external attack, really what that does is create unity. Have you noticed that? I think in my lifetime, I think the single greatest physical attack that created unity, not just in the churches, but in the country, was 9-11. I don't know where you were in 9-11. I don't know if some of you were even born. But if you were old enough, probably 8, 9, or 10 at least, you probably know exactly where you were. And you could probably say that. I know the church that we were serving at, at the time. I think the next following uh, Sundays, I think the church attendance tripled. And I think that could be said for a great many churches, maybe even the churches you were at at that time. But this external attack, when we know the enemy and who the enemy is and when they come attacked, then you, we roll up our sleeves and say, "Let's get them. Let's join the fight." But then slowly, probably over the next few months after 9-11, the numbers kind of settled back down to whatever the attendance is. I'm not saying church attendance is everything, the number of people that attend your church or the church or renewed church, but simply people knew they either needed to rally together or they needed God to figure this out. So that's what happened in chapter four of Nehemiah. They rallied together. But now in chapter five, division. Division in the church, it's Satan's most crafty tool within the church. And I'm not saying renew church, I'm saying church in general. But if you notice, the more time I spent during this week looking over it, most of the division in the church is over opinion and not doctrines. And granted, there is division of doctrines. I don't want to discredit that. But if you think about it, most of the divisions we face is based on opinion or tradition. And tradition is basically opinion on how things should go. Truly the one thing to fight over, just to be clear, biblically speaking, is the essential doctrine of faith in Jesus Christ. That is a biblical attack. But what happens is Satan comes in and he attacks and he whispers in your ear and then next thing you know you look at someone and think, ugh, they didn't do fill in the blank. I know growing up uh, in the church, we had the foyer, and they painted it purple. Oh, my goodness, is right. It was awful. Well, the thing is, is I thought it was pink, because I have no sense of style at all, and uh, I just remember people just staring at it. People left the church over a purple fellowship hall that I think, I really think it was pink, but whatever. But what happens is Satan attacks people and he tries to divide us. He even tries to do it in our own marriages and our own family. He whispers in your ear, hey, your wife said this. Remember that when she said that five years ago? No, but now thanks for the reminder But that's what he does. That's what Satan does. He tries to isolate people. And really, he divides people. And once he gets people divided, then he isolates people. And once he gets you isolated, then the only thing that you're left with is your own thoughts. And when you're only left with your own thoughts, it can get scary. There's a reason why the lions attempt to disrupt the unity in the gazelles or the zebras running around in a big circle. They don't even necessarily attack the weakness because many times the weakness, the weakest one, is in the middle of the pack. But usually, the one that the lion gets is the one that is exhausted or the one that's prideful and think they don't need the rest of the pack. And I wrote, at least in my notes, don't ever say, I got this and I don't need the church. And really, when you start to get alone, that starts to lead to selfishness and hatred, ungodliness. Everything the fruit of the Spirit says, we are the opposite of. I don't know who said this quote, but it says, and I, you, you can tell me after service, but the quote is, we met the enemy and it is us. And though we do need to be part of a, exclusively to one local church, for the sense of ministry and accountability. And I'm not saying you can't go to other churches or join their VBSs. I know our kids have hit them all up. But simply saying, you need to be a part of a church family. And Satan will attack you at your weakness, at the weakest moment. And what I've noticed is over the last couple hundred years, at least that's as far as I went up, usually the biggest attack for the division is on methodology, how another church does it. I'm not, again, I'm not talking about doctrine. I'm not saying that. But when you argue over methodology, how things should be done, we do it this way. We don't. One of the questions that my mentor had asked me whenever I had complained about how communion was being done, this was about 15 years ago, someone came in and did uh, communion completely different than the way that I was used to. We all had to leave and go outside to take communion, and I thought that was weird. So I was mentioning that it was weird, and and I said it was bad, and he said, is it bad or is it different? And just because it's different doesn't make it bad. See these attacks? They sneak in. So this morning, hopefully, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the way the problem was revealed. How it was presented, how, how Nehemiah handled the problem, the solution, the actual solution to the problem, and how his integrity really led to the solution. And then, if we have time, we'll go to chapter 6 and just talk about an attack on humility. But as we consider this, this attack, this argument, I mean, right now you can think of a ch- another church, maybe even this church, that you just don't like how they do things, right? Right? So what was happening here is everything was going well for Nehemiah. And then all of a sudden the, the these ladies came and said, Hey, this is the situation, this is the problem. This wasn't a com- this wasn't just grumbling and complaining like last week. This was a legitimate problem. What they were doing is all the men were building the walls, and some of the ladies were left behind to take care of the vineyards and they couldn't keep up. But there was a high there was a famine and there was a high tax for Marxes Xerxes. Because just because He supplied all of the supplies to build the walls and the gates. He still charged a high tax. So then what the Jewish people were doing were borrowing from their family members who were rich, and the family members were extorting them. They were charging them about 12% interest. And then if they couldn't pay it, then they would put their kids in slavery. In the Old Testament, the number one reason for slavery was over debt. You couldn't pay debt? Give me your kids. They'll work for me. So this was the situation. This was it. That's why whenever you see a famine that happens or a, a big flood or a hurricane, you'll see gas prices go up. Well, excluding now, but uh, you'll, see, you'll go in and, and, and you'll see the lumber yard. Their prices go up because they're trying to make an extra buck because of the actual situation, the actual tragedy, so they were trying to make it. They had all the money they would charge. But if we remember in Galatians five thirteen through 14, Paul writes, he says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. Don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law could be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. We mentioned this in our One Another series. So in your freedom, and in that freedom, the freedom first, of course, is in Christ. The second freedom is what you get, whatever it is that God has blessed you with. So these rich people were trying to get rich. And if you're sitting here this morning and saying, well, that's just good capitalism, we'll see why that's not true. So that was the problem. That was the situation that they were in. They were concerned that they couldn't pay for it. Let's just take a look at it real quick in Nehemiah 5, the first couple of verses here. First five verses, it said, about this time some of the men and and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such a large family, we need more food to survive. Others said, we have mortgaged our fields or vineyards and home to get food during the famine. And others said, we had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family of those who are wealthy and our children and just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our daughters And we are helpless to do anything about it for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. So that was the problem. That was the issue. They couldn't afford it. It's like they just kept getting further and further in debt. One of the things that I appreciate is they went straight to Nehemiah and said, here's the problem, here's the complaint. They didn't gossip. They didn't go and just whine and complain to other people and then share that and then it finally eventually got to Nehemiah. Again, going back to how Satan divides us, he uses the division of gossip. Well, did you hear so and so? I would suggest that probably perhaps all of us at some time has slipped into gossip. It's real easy to do. You're just sharing what's going on. I just have a complaint. Um, I have a ridiculous story that that came to me while I was preparing. I, when I my senior year in college, I was taking engines class three oh two, and the whole reason I took it is not because I needed it, it's just because I thought it was the easy A. And it was just because I grew up playing around engines and one of the final projects is we had to totally in a group restore an engine. We had to find the problem, restore it, put it back in the car. We did it. I was very proud that my team was the first team to get done in like two days. Like These guys didn't even finish, and we were already putting it in the car. Then we spilled a little oil. I went to go get a mop. When I came back, the instructor came and told the other three guys what a great job they did and that I was a bum for letting them do all the work while I was just pretending to mop. -uh. (laughs) Nuh-uh. That was a very mature 22-year-old response. Nuh-uh. But you know... It got worse because I did not go and talk to those guys who took the credit because they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't even know what a torque wrench was. I didn't go to the instructor and explain that I thought I should get an A and not a B because I wasn't just mopping. What I did is I complained to everybody else. Everybody who would listen. I complained to the next department over, the nursing department, just because I thought someone needed to hear it. They could care less. You know, eventually... About a month and a half later, the instructor, he, uh, Professor Aragon, called me into his office and I thought, oh here we go. And he said, hey, I hear that you did all the work. And I said, yeah, I, yeah, how'd you know? He said, oh, I knew, I just wanted to see how you responded. I was like, don't do that. Because what I didn't tell you is that uh, he was a Christian man and we had been sharing how difficult it was that we were the only two Christians in this class. He set me up. But he was revealing what was in my heart. And then he mentioned about gossip. He said, I was wondering how long it was going to take you for you to come and tell me the problem. You never did. I heard it five different times from five other people, and I don't even know why that nurse came and told me. (laughs) But you see how that division? So I was so mad at him, and then I didn't even like him anymore. I wanted nothing to do with him. He wronged me. I didn't want to show up to class. I don't even think I showed up to the next class. I pouted. That special DNA bullet just for me, pride, right to the heart. You're always being taken advantage of. You don't stand up for yourself. You're, you know, the list goes on and on. But here, Nehemiah, these, a few of the men and the wives went right to him and said, here's the problem, here's the situation. No gossip. I'm assuming that if the gossip went around and around, the wall would have never been built. Because can you hear that? Can you imagine that? Everyone doing this whole section of the wall and then they're hearing, hey, our husbands, they're they're getting swindled. Oh, well, then I'm not working. And next thing you know, Nehemiah shows up and says, where's everybody else at? So they go right to it and they present the problem. Right away, they present the problem and he handles it. But the second part that I appreciate about solving the problem is if you read verse 6 when I Nehemiah heard their complaints I was very angry stop there it's okay to be angry in your anger do not sin he was very angry and this is the part that I highlighted a couple of times in my Bible after thinking it over I spoke out against these nobles but after thinking it over after thinking it over who here responds and thinks well I should have should have thought that one through. Then you hear the words coming out of your mouth and you just wish that you had a vacuum cleaner to suck them back in. So, how did he respond? He took on the complaint. He recognized that it was an issue. He was moved to anger. Anger's not a bad thing. After thinking it over, he spoke out against these nobles and officials. Again, he didn't gossip. He didn't say, these scoundrels, these people he didn't sit there and complain to the, these wives and these men who had a problem. It was wrong what they were doing, very wrong in what they were doing. And the reason why we know that it was wrong is because in Exodus 22, verse 25, it says, this is the law, this is what they're supposed to do. If you lend money to any of my people, the Israelites, God speaking, who are in need, do not charge interests as a money lender would. Do not charge interests. But they did, so much so that they put him back into slavery. Do not charge interest, because if you go back and read the rest of Exodus, it will will continue to talk about, and we'll see that Nehemiah quotes it. You're just putting him back into slavery again, the slavery that we've been in multiple times, from the Egyptians to the Babylonians, now under the Assyrians and the Persians. And now you're going to put him in slavery again. So after he thought about it, continuing on halfway through verse 7, You are hurting your own relatives. You're charging grandma interest. Well, if you say it like that, that's not nice. You're charging interest to your own relatives when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. I appreciate how Nehemiah handles it right away and always calls a meeting, right away. If you remember a couple chapters ago, he called a meeting, well, Ezra called a meeting, and he said, if you don't show up, we get your land. Everyone showed up. And this is what he tells them very succinctly and directly to the point in verse eight. And at the meeting, I said to them, we are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners. But you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. Directly, right to the point this is a situation you're putting yourself into slavery and if this cycle keeps going on we're never going to finish the wall and we're never going to be the nation that God desires to be immediately so how does he what is the solution to the complaint what is what is how does he handle it verse 11 he says you must restore their fields which means just what it is restore their fields vineyards olive groves so not only were you charging them interest but you were just letting them sit there now you must pay and restore them And then, after you do all that, uh, to the money grains, or excuse me, sell them back into slavery, I might, sorry, verse nine, what are you doing is not right, should you not walk in the fear of the Lord, God, in order to avoid mocking by the enemy nations, I myself as well as my brothers and my workers have been lending people money and grain, but now let us stop this business of charging interest. It sounds almost like Nehemiah's, Charging interest himself, but he's not. He's saying, all of us, this is an issue within us. This is an issue within the Israelites. This is not just a them versus us issue. Speaking of division, that's exactly what Satan does. He comes in and he he attacks and, and makes us use language, me versus them. Those people versus us. He's saying, you are doing this to your own brothers and sisters. What kind of witness is this? This division, what kind of witness is this to the world? That's what Professor Aragon was trying to teach me. What kind of witness is this if you're no different than everybody else? There are people who are going to be looking over the walls that we are building, and the reason we build walls again, I'll say it again, is we build walls around the things that are important to protect We put up gates so that way we can filter what comes in and out so we can protect what's important. But there are always people looking over our walls. There are always people looking over our life, essentially, as followers of Christ. And really the question is, is they're asking themselves, what is different? What is different? And when your non-Christian friends or clients or customers, employees, employers, start to confuse your activity, my activity, for the world's activity, they walk away looking over into our lives and saying, they don't have anything different to offer. When you tell, when your friend calls you up and when you're doing taxes and you start to tell them a loophole in order to cheat your taxes... When they call you about business advice and you tell them about another loophole, they can't believe you are the same one inviting them to church yesterday. When the outside world says the people of God have nothing to offer us because they look exactly like us and they treat one another exactly like I do. So what do we do when we have a complaint, an issue? What Satan tries to do is create this huge division within the complaining department in our hearts. I don't know who else said it, but it's probably the same one. Christians do a good job of shooting our own wounded because we are cowards. I had a friend a couple months ago who called me up and said, hey, I know you're a pastor, so you have to tell me the truth which is a dangerous thing because I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And he said, hey, look, I'm not, I I don't, I could call up some other people. He started naming them off, but you know they're scoundrels. I said, okay. We all grew up together. We're all scoundrels, just to be clear. He said, I just want to know. I just want to know. Why do you always seem to be happy and why am I always sad? What's different? Christ. So then we started talking about that more and more, and and he was one of the guys that was in the class that I had for the engine, and I brought that up because I couldn't let it go, and he didn't even remember it, and (laughs) he remembered it. But we were just talking about it, and he said for so long as he's been looking for a church, and he's still on the fringe in his walk with Christianity, he believes, but he doesn't believe because he wants God to show him a special sign. He said, I I just want to know that I'll be accepted somewhere. I want to know when I walk in that I'll be greeted and whenever I leave, I won't be talked about. So the focus here is making it right. So Nehemiah makes it right. He says, we're no longer going to do this. Verse 10, he talks about no longer charging that. Verse 11, we're going to restore the fields. And verse 12, and everyone... They replied, we will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and made the nobles and officials swear to do what they had promised. I really appreciate Nehemiah because he's like, I know how you guys are. I know that you guys are gonna say, cool, that sounds good, we'll do it. We pinky promise. And he goes, hold on, let me get the priests. Let's do an oath. So he brings in the priests and they all Make an oath not to do it. They all swear. And the reason why he's able to do that is because he knows that this is a sin, not just of an individual, but this is the church sin. This is the group sin. That they all must come together and confess sin. Confessing sin seems scary, but it's so freeing. Have you ever been doing something that you shouldn't be doing? And in the deep, 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 deep part of your heart, you hope that you get caught so that way it's exposed? So he heads this straight on, head on. So he calls in the priests and they, the officials and they swear and they make a promise. If you want to modernize this for Christians today, and this is repentance. This is what repentance looks like. And no, you don't have to come to me. I'm not a priest, but I'm happy to hear. But what they did is they stopped. They confessed their sins and they made an oath and they said, God, we're yours. I'm back on. Sorry. And then just to, to, to bring it home a little bit more, in verse 13, he gives them an uh, illustration. He says he shook out the folds of his robe and said, if you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you like this from your homes and from your property. Just in case you're not getting it, here's the visual. You know, in the cufflinks that you never wash out. He shakes it off and says, let God do this to you. And then they say, "Then the whole assembly responded, Amen. And they praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. They praised the Lord. And there's this excitement. In the original language, the word for praising the Lord is they were praising the Lord in freedom. Because they were no longer bounded by the sin that they were holding on to. And then... He goes on for the... Then he explains for the entire 12 years that I was the governor in Judah from the 20th year to the 32nd year of the reign of Xerxes. That's just a fancy way for saying for the 12 years I was governor. Neither I nor my officials drew out our food allowance. And this this is where it can get tricky because he could say all of this. Nehemiah can say this is what we need to do. This is how you should do it and everything. But if... But if his walk didn't match what he said, then people say, yeah, it sounds good, but do you live this life? Do you actually do what you say you're going to do? So then he explains, this is a transition in his letter to explain what was happening. In verse 15, here it is, it says, the former governors, in contrast, had laid heavy burdens on the people demanding a daily ration of food and wine, besides the 40 pieces of silver. Even their assistants took advantage of the people But because I feared God, I did not act that way. It goes back to the Galatians quote, in your freedom, in your freedom. Technically, he had every right, according to the Persian law, to get the daily ration from everybody. That was a second way of him getting paid. But he didn't even take that because he knew it would be taxing his people. So how could he possibly say, hey, don't charge interest, if essentially he was charging the interest up front? And he did this because he feared God. I did not act that way. In verse 16, I devoted myself to working on the wall and refused to acquire any land. And I required all my servants to spend time working on the wall. He jumped in. He was all in. He was focused on what it was that God had called him to do. And, and that's what I have noticed too when Satan is attacking the division. He's attacking me. He's making me think, oh, so-and-so doesn't like me or so-and-so did this or whatever it is. If I focus on what God had called me to do, then I don't have any room to focus on what other people are doing. We started out this series talking about God calls you first to himself in salvation. Then he calls you to live like him, to be holy as he is holy. No, we won't be perfect, but he's calling us to surrender our whole life to him. And then he calls us to do something for him because he loves us, to join us in his great commission. But it's so easy for me to get distracted about what God called other people to do. And then I get distracted and say, this is what so-and-so should be doing. But did you notice the contrast to that is how Nehemiah handled that. He said, in verse 16, I also devoted myself to the work on the wall and refused to acquire any land. Working on the wall. Remember, he had that burden At the very beginning when his brother came and told him about the walls, God called him to go restore these walls. So he didn't get distracted in what everybody else was doing. He just stayed in. He didn't even concentrate on acquiring any land. He didn't concentrate on anything else except for what God had called him. And he required his servants to do it. He asked for nothing, though regularly he fed 150 Jewish officials at his table, the visitors. He did this all out of his own pocket. He made a pretty good wage when he was the cupbearer to Archie Xerxes, and he provided all of it, and he didn't take advantage of anyone. So, some of the notes that I wrote down here just to consider about it about the humility that Nehemiah had and how we can be cautious of not getting swept up in the division. Here's a question that I wrote to myself. Do I have a hard time celebrating the unique giftness that God has given someone else? Do I have a hard time celebrating the unique giftedness that God is giving someone else? If I do, why? Do you think you or someone else that you know can do a better job than that person? And if so, why? Then the follow-up question to that is, but whom did God call to do that? And I've had to ask myself this question many times over again, and I mention it, is what that person is doing, is it bad or simply different? Am I taking advantage over my place or position or my calling to gain something that God had never intended me to have? Is it easy for me to take something dif- different or difficult and recognize it's simply me just being uncomfortable? Then I wrote, The number one thing that prevents me from reaching a loss is internal fighting. So have you ever been thrown off course because someone else did something, or said something, or didn't say something, and you just threw up your hands and said, fine. Sometimes Satan makes you think that you're the offensive coordinator or the general manager or the owner of the team and simply you're a place kicker. Be a good place kicker, make the field goal. Maybe called you to be a quarterback, a cheerleader, a janitor, part of the team, we are members of one body. Oh, I hate this hand. Stupid foot. Sometimes the complaints come or is directed towards the group leader or the life group leader Question motives. None of this is from Christ. If you have an issue, go straight to the problem. Call a meeting. And just to be clear, Nehemiah was not against money. He wasn't against success. He was against people being harmed, the unity of God's people. And as we consider this, one of the things that that I was told when I went to school for biblical counseling, and and they had mentioned that uh, when you have a husband and wife who have been married for some time and they come in and they want to complain, Ask them this question. Now, this may prevent some of you from ever coming and visiting me, but that's okay. <laughs> you sit there and you listen to them, and they both complain. Well, there's a series. Either both are complainers. One is a complainer, one is a sitter there and be quiet, cry, or vice versa, or a nuh-uh, or Whatever. But like day three, one of the things it says is is as a husband is complaining about the wife and the wife is complaining about them and they can go on for three hours complaining about all the things that the husband and wife did, ask them this question. Tell me 10 verses that mean the most to you. Now tell me the 10 verses that mean the most to you that is not from your childhood that you're recalling. What verses have you read that confirms how you're treating your husband or wife? Well, this is not any fun, is it? But the enemy comes to divide us. Divides our family, divides our marriage, divides our church. But how Nehemiah handles it, he calls it out openly. He's not afraid to do it. He stops it right away. Nobody gets away from sin. Then he restores it. He makes it right. And he does it right away. It's humbling, but it's healing. Repentance is more than a word. It is an oath between you and the Lord. Well, here I am, am, God, and I'm going to go the other way with you now. And we always expect the enemy to attack, but never on the inside. Even after today when we walk home and or walk to our cars and go home, we'll consider that, oh yeah, I'm ready for any attack. But for some reason, we're never ready for the inside attack. And perhaps even more, you never expect that the enemy is yourself. And the people responded immediately and said, yes, we will do what you want. Yes, and amen. And they responded. The people of God. Are prepared to repent. So this morning, as we don't make our way to the next chapter, as you, as we sing a couple more songs, we'll have an opportunity to receive communion together. You're invited to receive communion with us um, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. We don't have membership or anything like that, but you're welcome. But when 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 the guys come down and pass out the elements, and you receive them. Consider, have you gossiped about anyone? Have, is there any kind of sin that, that you haven't dealt with? Is there a conversation that you should have with someone and not the, other, the people that you've had it with? God is quick to bring that out to you, to you if you have asked. And really, the whole hope, the whole message about Nehemiah is not the wall, which is very important. It's the unity of the Israelites, for what's going to take place in the next few chapters. The enemy comes and attacks stronger. So we must be united. So again, as you prepare your hearts to receive communion, just ask God where in my life do I have to make things right? Who do I have to apologize to? Who do I have to own it up to? Let's pray. God, thank you for this time and this opportunity to come together, Lord. Thank you that uh, you are prepared and well aware of the attack Satan does externally and internally, Lord. And Thank you that you've given us the tools to be able to handle it. Lord, I do pray for any and all of us that have any kind of complaint or issue that we're we're honest and bold enough to present it. Lord, so many times it's so easy to get mad at someone and it's just simply a misunderstanding. But Lord, let us not... uh, Hide in our self-righteousness and think that we know it better, Lord. let's not hide in our selfishness. Lord, we want what we want, Lord. really, we do want what you want. will you help us to live that for that to be true. So Lord, as we prepare our hearts to continue to sing more songs to you to worship, you deserve so much more than we can ever offer, but thank you for receiving them. So Lord, as we prepare our hearts to receive communion, we speak to us. Thank you for that gift. Thank you that your son did die on the cross so that our sins will be forgiven. There's always a cost in sin and you paid it. So we thank you and we love you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.